It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The trade deadline is officially over and the dust has settled. Did the Twins do enough to help them secure a division title? We're breaking it all down next on Superior Sports Talk. Carol 11 sports anchor Reggie Wilson covers the Twin City sports scene nonstop. Luke Inman is ready to put him on the hot seat. That's what you're going to do to me. Instant analysis. Yanked. Out you go. Post-game breakdowns and red-hot takes. The Timberwolves need a stick. Reggie and Luke give you a daily dose of Minnesota sports with superior sports talk. Part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. And it starts now. Back in the lab, Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode, Superior Sports Talk, presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. Going back to the bullpen today, it's our boy Sam Ekstrom, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show, stopping by today. Sam, it's not quite the new Twins bullpen that's fully restocked with plenty of new faces, but anytime we can get you in the game, we feel good about our chances. How you doing? Doing well. Um, I feel like this is a fun day to be on because there's a lot happening. We got Vikings getting injured right and left. We got new Twins coming on the team right and left via trade, and uh We've got a legendary broadcaster to Ode, hopefully. Hopefully you included that at some point in the show because I'm very excited to eulogize one Vin Scully. Maybe that's on the, on the docket. I don't know for sure. Hey, no spoilers, but you're right. Big show lined up today because the Twins finally jumped in the trade deadline pool, made a splash of their own. We break down their new acquisitions and hand out our grades, plus more Vikings news and notes, as you mentioned, Sam, from training camp, including our first big injury to a key offensive name. Remember, follow along on the Lockdown Minnesota YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button there. And on Twitter, smash that follow button, at Lockdown M-I-N. All right, to baseball we go. They made us wait until the very last second, and for a moment there, it really felt like they weren't going to do anything. But by the time the closing bell rang, the Twins made three big moves for three new pitching starters with all-star reliever Jorge Lopez from the Orioles. Hours later, it was red starting pitcher Tyler Molly, and just when you thought they were done, they go inside the division and grab Michael Fulmer, a quality reliever from Detroit. So three new arms for the team, both in the starting rotation and some bullpen help. Sam, the dust is settled. They didn't end up with the big name like Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas, but they also didn't give up any of their top prospects like Royce Lewis, Jose Miranda, Martin, Cantorino, etc. Tell us what you like about these moves and how much does it move the needle for you when it comes to the Twins being able to secure a division title in the Central? How much more confident are you now today after waking up from those three big moves the Twins made? I'm pretty satisfied with with those moves. I don't think they could have done a whole lot more shy of going out and getting one of those top line pitchers, the Montas or the Castillo. And again, in doing so, you would have had to give up better prospects. So I think I'm okay with getting maybe the third best in Tyler Molly um, and not having to give up those guys. And and they gave up some good prospects at, at that double A, single A level. Um, I think all told, Luke, they gave up nine players yesterday, four in the Lopez trade. Was it four more in the uh, in the Molly trade or, or at least three? And then one in the Michael Fulmer trade. So they gave up a lot of their minor league system, but most of it at the lower levels. Um, They didn't give up anybody who is going to have an actual impact this year or probably even next year. So they're trying to capitalize on this window. 
They add two players in Molly and Lopez who will be on the roster next year. Lopez will be on the roster three years from now. Um, so they add talent for now. They add talent for later. And I feel a whole lot better about the back end of that bullpen. And, of course, the Twins, Luke, would go and demonstrate once more why they made the trades last night with a bullpen collapse in the late innings. Griffin Jacks, who's supposed to be the reliable one, he gives up the three runs and the Twins lose to the Tigers. But now, here's the back end of your bullpen. Lopez, Duran, and Fulmer maybe move Jacks to more of a sixth-inning role. I like the feeling of that a lot more. Now, now instead of having Tyler Duffy, you know, pitching in the eighth, you can have him in the fifth or sixth. Um, you don't need to see much more of like Trevor McGill or Jarrell Cotton. Uh, you can demote or, you know, de-elevate those guys in sort of that bullpen rotation. You just feel a whole lot more secure in the late innings where it seemed like you, you had one card to play. You had Duran and you hoped you could get two innings from him. And now, if you don't get two innings from Duran, or if Duran's not available, well, you can still win the ball game. You don't have to sweat it out and bite your fingernails. So I love the way the back end looks now. And you can feel a little more confident in your rotation. Like, if you've got a three-game playoff series, and you can go Ryan, Gray, Molly, instead of having to kind of just take a, a crapshoot at it for, for that third starter... You feel much better about that as well. So I think this gives the team a lot of security and depth for this stretch run. Yeah, never too late. Put your World Series bet down on the Twins with Bet Online. Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs, stats, news, and info. Bet Online makes betting easy. Go to betonline.net today to learn more. That's betonline.net. It's where the game starts. Does this front office know just because there's a deadline, it doesn't mean they need to wait until the final seconds as the clock's ticking down. Like, you know, you don't have to wait until the final countdown to start getting active. I say that because some fans are going to come out here and say they waited too long. They needed to go get one of those studs like Castillo or Montas, and they missed out on that opportunity. Now, I don't claim to know the packages they would have had to give up to get them and what prospects you would have had to surrender, but what do you say to those fans that might say this was only a Band-Aid solution and maybe enough to get them into the dance, but not enough to be a serious contender with top teams like the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros when it comes down to crunch time? So here's what I'll say to that. I think those fans have a legitimate argument that these moves should have been made months earlier months as in before the season uh the twins left gaping holes in their bullpen and their rotation and maybe they naively believed that they had the answers internally that they had guys in the minor league system or they had guys from last year that were going to improve uh and let's let's be honest too the twins have had serious injury issues major injury issues whether it's Maeda or Dobnik or Ober um, they have not been able to stay healthy. So that's impacted their depth a lot. So they can't have anticipated that. But they also didn't really have a lot of sure things on this roster, like established talent going into the season. Heck, their number one guy was Joe Ryan. I mean, he's worked out, but Joe Ryan was kind of a mystery man himself. We didn't know what, what we were going to get from him. Um, so the Twins went into the season with uncertainty. They should have filled these gaps before the year. Um, once you get into the season... Teams are not as willing to, to deal with you kind of until the week of the deadline. 
um, because they, number one, are wanting to see if they themselves are going to be competitive. Are they going to be buyers? And they know if they're sellers, if they wait until the deadline, well, then they're going to have more competition for those players' services. So if you're trying to have a talk on July 4th and you're the only team talking, that the other guys are going to say, eh, let's hold off. Let's hold off a few weeks until they get another call and another call, and suddenly they're leveraging teams against each other. So that's why all this business has to wait until that final week. I mean, obviously, uh, Castillo got dealt last Friday, so that was about five days earlier. You know, that, that might have helped a little bit to, to get that deal done five days ago. But um, I think the real sin is that the Twins went into the season with so little uh, pitching. And once the season starts, it's kind of hard to, to address those moves until the sellers are incentivized to sell. Yeah, to that point, too, you look at how the first half went. If that's any indicator, this division race is probably going to come down to the final week of the MLB season. You look how many games the Twins blew throughout the uh, last month alone, Sam. And any one of those games could come back to haunt them. And you sit there and wonder, maybe if they would have made those moves a few weeks earlier, or maybe even a month ago, as you mentioned, that could be the difference from winning this division and losing it. Yeah, they give up Steer, who was their number six prospect, and CES, their number 12 prospect. But you keep the top five core untouched and intact, which is important for the future, and to stay competitive in the long haul. And maybe the biggest key to this, I know you mentioned it, you get Molly for all of 2023. You get Lopez for the next two and a half seasons. Huge. I can't stand to see these teams mortgage the farm just to go get a guy for three months when you know he's walking out the door at season's end. So that's a nice little cherry on top for sure with these acquisitions. Last one here on the Twins. Dust is settled. Trades are official. So what's the new rotation going to look like here, Sam? Where does Molly fit in with Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray in that top three rotation? And when it comes to the bullpen, I imagine it's now a one-two punch with Johan Duran and Lopez, and then you get into that second tier pretty quickly. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, I mean, I think that Ryan, Gray, and Molly clear top three, and then you're kind of battling it out for those other spots. Um, Chris Archer has been mostly unreliable of late. He had a decent start yesterday, but he's still not going to get you late in games. Dylan Bundy's ERA has skyrocketed above five. I don't think he should be a shoe-in. Uh, Devin Smeltzer regressed to the mean. I, I almost think that you're looking at sort of a rotation by committee for those fourth and fifth spots. I mean, you had a spot start from Aaron Sanchez, who gave you a little little something. Um, it's a great I I think they're probably going to stick with Archer in that rotation because they like just his professionalism and you know his, his veteran leadership. Great guy to have in that locker room. I think that he probably has a spot. And then, you know, you try to use those off days strategically where if you got a day off, you don't need to go to your fifth starter. And with only, what, six, seven weeks left in the season, um, you don't probably don't need to use that fifth starter all that much. So I would, I would guess they're going to ride their big three and then probably a, a dose of Archer. And then Bun they'll keep sending Bundy out, trying to you know get the good version of him versus the the recently worse version of him. But it's still it, it leaves something to be desired. The back end of that rotation, back end of the bullpen, I think it's pretty clear. You've got Duran in the ninth. You've got you know, and maybe it's maybe it's Lopez too. I don't think they have a set closer. I think they can almost be interchangeable in those eighth and ninth inning roles, depending on the matchups. Um, and then Fulmer probably in the seventh. 
and Jack's probably in that sixth, seventh inning role as well. So you feel decent about four guys at the back end that should be able to get you to the finish line with um, a, a bullpen that can hold a lead reliably and not uh, not have to sweat out these blown leads that'll come back to haunt you. Yeah, there are no New York Yankees with five, if not even six, legitimate quality starters. But if you can make it into the show, you got to feel good with that top three rotation for sure. Afternoon game today, 12-10 first pitch in the backyard. Here at Target Field, Joe Ryan set to hit the mound, hoping for a bounce back from that tough trip out west, giving up four home runs his last start to the Padres last weekend. Rest assured, Sam and I got you covered tomorrow to break it all down. All right, to football we go. 41 days until week one of the NFL season kicks off. That means we're a handful of practices into Viking training camp. And, oh, Sam, how ironic. After we talked all offseason about the lack of depth at tight end, how there's no bigger cause for concern of all 22 starters maybe outside of, you know, defensive end number three or your interior guard position than if Irv Smith Jr. goes down it couldn't be a backup guard that went down or like, you know, like a second team nickel linebacker. Of course not. Had to be the one guy we talked about all offseason that can't get hurt. Irv Smith Jr. left practice finger injury Monday and it was announced he underwent surgery and will miss all of the preseason. Although they are hopeful he can return by week one against the Packers at the bank. Dalvin Cook also left practice. I saw you were the first one to report that yesterday at uh, TCO with a finger injury. Worth keeping an eye on on that, of course. Sam, thoughts and any news or observations from yesterday's non-padded practice? And I guess the outlook now at these positions where some injuries took place. Get to know the names Johnny Munt and Zach Davidson. Uh, <laughs> I think people, people were a little bit perturbed last year when they didn't do much to address tight end. And then Smith went down, and then Tyler Conklin was brilliant in relief of him. I mean, you know, kind of in the way of Munt. Conklin only had 32 catches in three years going into last year. Ended up with 61 catches and got a massive payday from the Jets. So it worked out last year uh, almost miraculously. I'm not sure you can be as optimistic this year. Johnny Munt has been a blocking tight end for five years. He's got 10 career catches. He's never really had that part of his game or part of the game in his skill set. So to assume he's going to be a Conklin, it might be a little naive. Zach Davidson has zero catches. Nick Muse is a rookie, so he's got zero catches. So you've got a combined total of 10 catches in your healthy tight ends right now. So that that that's rough. That's rough. Um, that probably lends itself to a lot of four wide receiver sets, you know, spreading the field with your wide receivers, maybe not using as many tight ends. Um, and again, Irv could come back week one. It could all be okay. But I do worry about Irv's development in this new scheme where he's got to learn a lot. You know, tight ends have to line up all over the field. They got to have blocking assignments all over the field. And Irv needs to learn that stuff. So to miss almost all of these padded practices, preseason games, I think that's pretty damaging for, for Irv Smith. And I, I can't imagine he'll be mentally 100% come week one. So they might still need to lean on those backup tight ends. So I think that that's a problem. I'm concerned about it. Um, Dalvin Cook. Man, I mean, this isn't this isn't a knee. This isn't a hamstring. This isn't an ankle. So this is probably a more benign injury, we hope. But, I mean, you still got to hang on to the football, right? 
You can't have broken fingers. I don't know if it's broken. I don't know if it's sprained, dislocated, what happened. But, I mean, it was clearly it was clearly hurting him. He was taken off with a trainer. The trainer was holding his hand delicately like he was, you know, escorting him to the dance floor like at a ball, like holding it, you know, very gingerly. Um, and off they went to the locker room. He got a big wrap on his finger, and he watched the rest of practice. Um We'll see. We'll see where he's at with that. There's probably ways to to play through a finger injury, but it's a guy you got to keep healthy. And it's kind of ironic that on a day where they gave a bunch of vet days, like Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, um, Zadarius Smith, I believe they got. There were three guys with vet days yesterday. Couldn't give one to Dalvin Cook too. I mean, that's a guy who really doesn't need to be out there every single day. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but would have been nice to have him on the sideline not getting hurt um, and have that guy healthy. Especially given the depth, too, that you got there. Madison, Ken Nwangu, I know, is still coming back from a knee injury. But rookie Ty Chandler could have used those reps as well. And, of course, again, ironic, it comes on a non-padded practice. Just can't make it up, Sam. Okay, fantasy football tight end rankings. Kels, Kittle, Waller, Johnny Munt? Right in that four to five range there. Something right like there. That, coming off that KOC's, KOC's guy. KOC's <laughs> yeah. uh, Rams guy. All right there. Sleeper. Johnny Munt for a buck. Lock it up. Yeah, I don't know much, Sam, but I do know this. If they want Herb to return as quickly as possible, they better get him some Built Bars. Built Bar made with collagen protein, so it's easily digestible, provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15. Back to Vikes practice. Yeah, this is a brutal sport. We know injuries just part of the game. And when someone goes down as unfortunate as it is, it's a great opportunity for someone else to step up. And I've been talking about Zach Davidson since May. After the draft concluded, they only used a seventh-round pick at the position with South Carolina's Nick Muse, as you mentioned. All you had to do was kind of connect the dots and see second-year man Zach Davidson was going to be in a position to make a name for himself as a critical depth piece at tight end for the Vikes. And sure enough, here we are in August, and this is his time now to show what he's got and prove how much he's developed from year one to year two. Still got guys like Bunt and Ellison, as you mentioned, but... I think is just a pure pass-catching, playmaking weapon. Davidson's clearly has the most tools, size, speed, to be the guy that steps up and win this job while Irv Smith is out. Switching gears a little bit, CBS Sports article from Cody Benjamin highlighted his five biggest takeaways from his time at Vikings camp. Here's his five biggest notes, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, so bear with me, but Justin Jefferson, mm -hmm. he's a stud. Now the clear face of the franchise at just 23 years old. The KOC effect was number two as in a more contemporary offense, more 11 personnel, three wide receiver looks, more looks and guys in motion, etc. A plethora of talent and options in the running back stable was number three. You got Cook and Madison, the one-two punch, and then the two young hungry tailbacks behind him, Kenny Nwangu and rookie Ty Chandler. Number four, Kirk Cousins looks crispy in this new offense, and he notes Kellen Mann feels like he'll win that number two job ahead of Sean Mannion so far from what we've seen in, in you know, I've what, got some thoughts on practices. that. Yeah, we'll jump into that. And finally, the quiet yet big impact the key core of veterans have inside this new Ed Donatel defense, talking about guys like Patrick Peterson, Dirty Harry, Zadarius Smith, Eric Kendricks, etc. A lot to chew on there, Sam, but just a knee-jerk reaction 
Of the five, what's your biggest storyline or topic that has the most meat on the bone when it comes to the Vikings' success in 2022? Let's talk about the quarterbacks because yeah, I think I think he's spot on that Kirk Cousins has looked good. He has. Kirk Cousins has looked very sharp. Um, he's getting the ball downfield at, at a very high rate. I mean, I've seen connections to Osborne, Thielen, Jefferson with regularity, a lot of intermediate throws, deep throws. Osborne has been outstanding. I mean, a second year in a row where he's been, I think, one of the top five stars of camp. I mean, Osborne's been great. Love where the wide receiver room is at. And I think Cousins just looks really comfortable. Better than he did last year, honestly. Last year was was really weird for Kirk. Vaccine stuff, um, at odds with the coaching staff. This year, he looks much more comfortable. I, I, will, I will say that. And that makes, I think, Kellen Mond look even further away. I don't know where Cody Benjamin's getting that from. Maybe he saw one of Mond's better days. Maybe he talked to someone who was complimenting Mond. I have seen nothing to suggest this guy's gotten better. I, I I see him, and and he has gotten some reps with the twos. And if he is your backup, I think that's more of an indictment on Sean Mannion. I mean, I think that that's just a decision where you're trying to prioritize the younger athletic guy versus the the veteran who maybe doesn't have as much upside. But I don't I don't see Kellen Mond going out and winning you football games. He doesn't have any conviction when he drops back in the pocket. Never hits his first read. He's tucking and, and scrambling constantly. He's not finding receivers. If he does, it's a check down. Anything like first, second read downfield, it's not getting thrown. He's so hesitant in the pocket. And this has been multiple days where I've observed this. And yesterday was maybe the worst yet. And this was the problem last year too. He does not seem to see the field as quickly as you need. His processing speeds are low, and his accuracy isn't great. So that's how I feel about Kellen Mond, Luke. Um, I don't. If anyone's got an optimistic report on Mond, it is not based on what we've seen during eleven on elevens. Um, I think coaches are going to compliment him. They're going to say that he's you know studying hard and you know doing the things they want. But I mean, obviously, they're not going to bury the guy. When rubber meets the road, I'm not seeing the steps that you would want him to take if you want him to be your number two. Yeah, and just a little bit more fuel for the fire when it goes back to critiquing and criticizing that 2021 draft class. You know, I try to grasp onto straws saying, hey, Zach Davidson might step up this year now with Irvine. Amir Smith-Marset could be a great number four wide receiver, maybe step up into a bigger role if anybody ever got hurt. Obviously, you got to hit on your first-round pick. So Christian Derrissaw, just because you hit on your first-round pick doesn't mean you're going to get an A grade. But if you don't hit on your first-round pick, you can't get a good grade. As we get further and further along into camp now and we're really seeing these pieces start to be put in place, that 2021 class, man, is just an absolute head scratcher. You got a first round pick, starting left tackle, solid. But then you got four third round picks, Sam. And Kellen Mond, obviously you're speaking to how far away he is. We haven't heard anything from Wyatt Davis. Chas Surratt, Put him on a milk carton. Is that guy even yeah. at camp? I haven't heard his name know. once. I don't know. And, and uh, from Pittsburgh, the defensive end, I'm liking his oh, name Patrick now. Oh, Patrick Jones. Patrick Jones. Patrick yep. Jones. Uh, where's he going to fit in, in this new 3-4 scheme now? Is he a 5-tech uh, with his hand in the dirt? Is he more stand-up edge guy as a linebacker? You know, as you sit here and try to make a case that maybe there's something to glean here, again, with the 
Amir Smith-Marsets and Zach Davidson. When you look at it as a whole, that 2021 class, and it's still early. We know in any sport, I mentioned it yesterday, there's no bigger leap guys take from year one to year two. So let's pump the brakes a little bit, but as of now, for how many picks they had, how many top 100 picks they had specifically, to have that many swings and misses and that many busts, especially for a guy like Brick Spielman, I just think is uh, pretty mind-boggling. Training camp resumes today. They put the pads back on after a breather yesterday. Tell us what you think. Get some healthy debate going. Go comment on the YouTube channel. Let us know what you think. 41 days until week one in the NFL season. Rest assured, Sam, Ron, Reggie, and I got you covered every step of the way, every day on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. All right, the time has come. My favorite segment's here. I'm putting Sam on the hot seat with what does it mean covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports. First up, the longtime voice of the Dodgers, and in many ways, the heart of Los Angeles. Vin Scully passed away at the age of 94 last night, an absolute legend of a broadcaster and true icon. Scully was one of the all-time greatest voices in all of sports. Sam is a sports broadcaster yourself and an admirer of some of the profession's greats. I'm curious to get your instant reactions and thoughts to this because so rarely do you find a man and a body of work, too, that transcends so many eras of baseball and in impacted so many generations to the point that you and I can have conversations with our dads about the same guy and what we remember about him growing up. My dad's such a baseball historian. We talk all the time about the show and I can hear him now barking at the TV saying, oh man, Luke, you got to talk about him calling Sandy Koufax's games when they won the 65 World Series and Koufax was named MVP, called Jackie Robinson's games. Obviously that's a part of history. One of the greatest calls in baseball history, game one, 88 World Series. Bottom of the ninth, two out, Kirk Gibson versus Dennis Eckersley. Hadn't allowed a home run since August 24th at the time. You know the rest. I, in the same conversation, could say, Dad, I'll never forget his voice watching guys I grew up with, like Dodgers greats, Mike Piazza, uh, Eric Karos, Hideo Nomo. It's just a rare moment when one man is able to bring each generation together to talk about just how much he impacted the game of baseball and an entire city, really, in Los Angeles, transcended what it meant to be a sports broadcaster. Again, I know you're a student of this profession. You have a lot to say, I'm sure. So I'm curious about just your instant thoughts and reaction to the passing of Vin Scully. What does it mean when it comes to where Scully ranks in his field? And what's a moment or call you'll always remember from him? Man, how much time do you have? I mean, this... This news floored me as much as the news of a 94-year-old passing away can because it wasn't long ago that Scully was doing interviews. You know, he still was kind of available and he would go on talk shows and he would talk to newspapers and as sharp as ever. Um, I mean, this guy was brilliant from 22, I think it was, when he started his career until, what, 88, 89 when he hung it up. He didn't really lose a step. I mean, as quick-witted and as sharp from day one till the final day, wh what longevity? I mean, very few broadcasters can work into their 80s, and you can't detect a drop-off. This guy had a mind like a steel trap, and that's why he was able to recall stories from decades prior and tell them with vivid detail and weave them in to his broadcasts so effortlessly. Um, I always, I loved seeing Scully get on doing a story. And, and I feel like the baseball gods knew that, okay, th th you can't finish the at-bat 
until Scully's story is done. And almost always he would finish the story, and here's the 2-2 pitch, swing, and a miss, strike three. <laughs> like the, the, the batter waited to finish the bat until Scully got done with the story. Just an unbelievable, versatile broadcaster, football, golf. Obviously, he's known best for baseball. Um, consider this too, Luke. People didn't really start collecting Scully audio until like the last 10 years of his career when YouTube became a thing. There's a lot of good recent Scully stuff. Think about the other 60 years. Obviously, we have footage of some of the big events like Gibson, the catch with Dwight Clark, uh, the 65 Kofax World Series game. But think about all the footage and audio that's been lost to time of Scully. All the stories, all the big moments that he's been a part of that we'll, we'll probably never hear. Um, that would, you know, fill up a like collection of encyclopedias. That is so much content that he produced in his career. Um, and being professional all the way, not a single scandal, barely a word out of place. I mean, he barely blundered once in his career. Um, you asked about my favorite call. You know, he was behind the mic for the Twins' 91 World Series. A lot of people don't know that. They they hear in their mind the Jack Buck TV call or the John Gordon, Herb Carneal radio calls locally, but he was on national radio. So you can go and you can find the, the Puckett home run, the Gene Larkin walk-off. You can hear the Scully calls of that um, on YouTube if you want. I, I loved Scully narrating umpire-manager fights or brawls because – the TV cameras would pick up a lot of language being spewed out, a lot of foul language. And Scully would read the lips of the manager, and he would try to clean it up for the TV audience. Um, and he would substitute his own words to substitute for the F-bombs and the S-words that were being uh, put out there. Just just brilliant, like funny, witty, um, and just... I mean, just innocent. Like the the guy was class personified. So go go look up some of the funnier Scully calls. Um, I've been reveling in all the videos that I've seen in my feed today and last night, and I'm sure more will come of some of Scully's biggest hits. So uh, it's it, it's a hard day. Like this is a guy that I obviously admire, look up to, and try to you know take as much as I can from. Um, I know I took went way past my time there, but. Uh, what a man, what a broadcaster, and he will be uh, greatly, greatly missed. Yeah, anybody who's tried this profession can attest to how difficult it is, and it's almost sickening how easy he made it look and sound when he was in the booth. Absolute legend, arguably the best sports broadcaster. You could make a case all time. Real quick, I know we're wrapping up. How about others in the sports broadcasting field that stand out to you more from this era or our era growing up? I know you're a huge Joe Buck guy. And I know you take some heat for that once in a while, but you stick to your guns. I respect that. Of course, anytime I bring him up, my dad says, well, if you get to talk about Joe, you got to talk about his dad, Jack Buck, all-time great Cardinals play-by-play -play man inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Is Buck at the top of your list for guys we grew up with and you look up to? Or who else are a few guys that just you feel like are at the top of their game right now or hitting their peak in this profession? You just love to sit down and listen to Call a Game. Yeah, I mean, if you open Pandora's box and get me talking about why Joe Buck is actually elite and why the criticism is unfounded, I, I feel like we're going to blow past our time here. I just think that 
that's a guy that you can take from not only with his approach to broadcasting and, and the last 15 years of his career have been astonishingly good. He nails every big moment. He almost never makes mistakes. And he had his missteps along the way early when he was trying to figure things out. He was self-conscious about being Jack's son. I think he was still pretty young and, and he definitely had to improve over the years. But um, the, the guy he is now, the broadcaster he is now, um, if you judge him for what he is the last decade, really, really professional, incredible broadcaster, doesn't take himself too seriously if you follow him kind of off the mic as well. So I really respect that. Um, but I would say almost almost on par with Buck right now is Ian Eagle um, of Turner, CBS. Ian Eagle is the guy I want behind the mic for any big basketball game. More than Mike Breen, more than Kevin Harlan, more than Marv Albert. Ian Eagle is my guy right now. And he does NFL for CBS. He's the number two guy with Charles Davis. He's um, just a, a masterful craftsman of uh, of the, the industry. And he's not as widely known as some of the number one guys because he's often the number two, kind of the, the second banana at a lot of the networks. But Ian Eagle... And his son, Noah Eagle, is actually coming up the ranks as well. He's the Clippers radio announcer. So uh, the Eagles are landing and uh, taking over in broadcasting. I love it. We could obviously talk about Vin Scully and just this whole profession field all day. Absolute legend in the booth. We'll have to save that for another show, no doubt. That's a wrap today. Back here tomorrow, breaking down more Twins, Vikes, plenty more. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. He's Sam Ekstrom. Follow him on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Special thanks to our producer, Matt DeBritz. Tune in tomorrow to Superior Sports Talk, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. For Sam, I'm Luke. Until tomorrow, signing out. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.